Well, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm about to knock over some music stuff. Um, welcome to week two of Amazing Race. Hope you're having fun tonight. Uh, I know some. I know some of you through coaching basketball at the middle school. I know some of you through Cross Point. Um, I uh, know some of you because uh, you live in my home, and uh, I call you kids. And I don't know some of you, and if I don't know know you, I'd love to meet you afterwards and get to know you. And I always love the opportunity to come and share with you. I believe and have seen the Lord work in your generation, and I believe that if you're open to it and if you're you're willing to say yes all the time, uh, He will do incredible things in and through you. And I believe He wants to use you to change your schools and your families and your circle of friends. I grew up here in Eureka, uh, but I didn't grow up in a church. We started going to church when I was in uh, 7th or 8th grade. And so maybe some of you can relate to that. Uh, what I needed in my life in middle school and in high school were friends uh, who loved Jesus and told me the good news of who he was and what he had done. And by God's grace, he gave me some friends who were just that to me. And I'm eternally grateful if I had not had friends uh, who told me about Jesus, who loved me enough, who were bold enough to tell me about Christ, uh, I don't believe I would have met him uh, when I did at the, at, in, in high school. So why am I telling you all that? Why does that even matter to you? I'm telling you that because if you're here and you know Jesus, then you need to be that kind of friend to the people around you, now, the kind of friend who leads others to Jesus through your words and your way of life. Uh, you're on mission with Jesus to reach, uh, uh, reach people who don't know him, and he will give you the words and the power and the, and the nudges to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it, and our job is simply to say yes. Simply respond to him saying yes and trust him to, to grow, trust him to lead as we do that. And tonight, I want to talk about this tendency that we have to put God in a box. So I want you to watch this video. Ryan, hey, I saw you on the side of the road with that cop. What happened? Yeah, you got me going 30 over in a school zone. What? Are you crazy? Why would you do that? Well, obviously, I was in a hurry. Uh, you must have got a huge ticket. Oh, no, because I had one of these. What is that? Well, this is my God in the box. I opened up the lid and uh, God took care of all my problems. He even had the cop apologize for pulling me over. (laughs) Seriously? I'm surprised that little thing worked. Oh yeah, works for me all the time. (laughs) No, that is dumb. Okay, tell him. Yeah, what you need is a supersized God in a box, baby! Wow! I know! That's awesome! Yeah! Come on, you guys don't really think you can put God in a box. Well, of course. He's there for whenever you need him. But you need him all the time. Laura, you can't walk around town with God all hanging out and exposed everywhere. I mean, people would see that. Well, isn't that what being a Christian is? I mean, people need to see God. Okay, Laura, think about it like this. Let's say you and God go out to Burger Bonanza one night. You order a burger with no pickles, but they bring it out with pickles. Oh, I hate that. Okay, enough to ruin your night. So, at this point, you're going to want to tuck God back in the box, and then you raise your voice a little bit with the worker. And maybe the manager overhears you and he comes and he fires the worker. And when everything's taken care of, you just pull God back out. He doesn't know any different. Have a good night. Nice. Of course he knows differently. Listen, you can't just put God away when you don't want him there and then pull him back out when you do. It doesn't work like that. God wants a relationship with you all the time. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, what you're talking about is for perfect people like Jesus. And the Pope. Right, and Mother Teresa. I mean, we're normal people. Yeah, I don't even think I could live like that. So you're telling me you can live without God? Yeah. Can you live without God? Um, yeah, it's easy. Can you die without him?
Can you die without him? Come on, guys. You can't live without him either. I can remember writing a letter to a friend early in high school, and uh, like, like I took a piece of paper and I took a pen and some lined notebook paper, and I used my right hand and I and I wrote words on a piece of paper, and I and I wrote this letter to my friend, and I folded it and I put it into an envelope, and I and I put like an address on it and my return address and and, and a stamp, and I put it in the mail. So it was like a, re a revolutionary way of communicating. I know, uh, which is just like. This is weird, I know. We, we didn't text, we didn't Facebook, and I wrote a letter to this friend with my very own hand. And I remember uh, in a previous letter, my friend had told me, or had asked me, are you a Christian? And uh, I was a sophomore in high school at the time, and so in my letter back to them, I wrote these words. I said, I'm a distant Christian. I remember those exact words, and it's funny what you can remember. Uh, this is over 20 years ago now, uh, and, I, and I still remember that, and I'll be honest, I'm thankful that I do because it relates to uh, tonight's subject. It reminds me of this truth. I said I'm a distant Christian, and then I went on to explain this uh, truth of mine, and, and it was, well, I go to church with my parents. I, I, I basically, I, tr I try to look the part of what a Christian is, and in comparison to the video, I get God out of a box when I need Him, but put Him away when I don't. Uh, I I get them out when it's convenient or acceptable around a circle of friends, but then I put them away when it seemed like he was going to want me to change or do something different. Can you relate to this tendency? Because here, here's what I don't want you to do tonight. I don't want you to lie to yourself. I don't want you to lie to God. Because uh, I, I just want you to be honest before him because he already knows everything about us. He formed us, created us, knows, know, knows when we get up, when we lie down, how many hairs are on our head. He knows every word that we're going to speak before we even speak them. So knowing that truth, let's not try to hide from such an all-knowing, loving God. So can you relate to this tendency of having this disconnect from what you say you believe and how you actually live? Or the separation between, well, in this area, I need God, but over here, eh, not really. For example, maybe some of these hit home. I, I believe there's a God, I believe there's a divine, supreme being, but if I were honest, I really don't know him. Or, or I get God out of a box when I haven't studied for that test or the teacher gives me a pop quiz like I really need God in that moment but otherwise I just really don't need him very much. I get God out of a box when I show up at hype but then when I leave here and I get back in the car and go home I, he stays kind of in this room. I get God out when I'm when I find myself stuck or I'm caught in something, but once that kind of blows over and once that, that conflict kind of resolves itself, then, then I forget about them. Or when I'm with this group of friends over here, I, I get God out because it, it's acceptable. And, but when I'm with this circle of friends or when I'm with my teammates, yeah, I just kind of leave them in my duffel bag or my locker because it's just a little bit safer that way. Or I get God out of the box when I'm with, when I'm with my parents because, you know, it's the right thing to do and uh, it, it's, it's what they... What they, it's appropriate for me to look like I'm following Jesus and it's just the right thing to do, you know. But when I'm away from my parents, yeah, I just, I just kind of put God away. Or there was a season when I got God out of the box and we were working along just fine and he was, he was following me and doing what I wanted him to do. But then he, at some point he seemed like he changed and he wanted me to change. And yeah, I just, and so, so I kept God in, his, in the box at that point. And some of that sounds kind of silly after a while, but... But can you relate to this? And I want you to know this is a safe place. You don't have to be, uh, pretend to be someone that you are not. And actually, we'd rather have you be honest than fake anything. 
Uh, one of the beautiful things about our, our Lord is that even when we ask Him to search us and know us and examine us, He still loves us. Even when we've messed up, when we've fallen into an old habit, He welcomes us back to Him and longs for our entire lives, our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions, our, our, our words to be under His loving authority. He loves you the way you are and loves you enough not to leave you that way. So what does God's Word say about this bent we have in keeping God in a box? Does it have anything to say about this tendency in our lives to keep God at a distance or only pull Him out when, when we want to or when we find it acceptable? If you've got a Bible in front of you, I want you to turn to Isaiah 29. Old Testament, a little bit, way, a little bit uh, after Psalms, Proverbs, before Jeremiah. In the front of your Bible, um, there's a table of contents. Use it. All right, you don't earn extra credit points with God or with your like your neighbors by not using the table of contents. It's there as a tool, so use it. All right, uh, it doesn't make you lame; it just makes you wise that you're using the tool. All right, when I was in high school, my face would turn beet red. It would feel like a heat of a thousand suns when I would open up. The, the The speaker like me would say, "Hey, I want you to turn to this book," and I think I'd never heard of that book, but everybody else would like. They're, they're doing the sword drills and they've gone to all the quiz and different things and all they're going, ah, just use the table of contents, all right? Just use it. That's all. I'm off that tangent. But I know some of you have a Bible in front of you because it earned you some points tonight. And that's fantastic. We're th so thankful you brought it. But here's the point. We want you to get into this uh, daily. We want you to get into God's Word. If you're new to God's Word, we'd encourage you to start reading in the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Once again, use the table of contents to find it. But it's a book all about the story and life, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So you know, it'd be a fantastic one to read. So Isaiah 29 will be in 29 verse 13. And Jesus will actually then quote this, quote this verse uh, during his ministry, he'll quote the Old Testament. This, this verse was written prior to Jesus being born. And Isaiah 29, uh, 13 says this. Uh, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. So we come near to God with our mouth, but our hearts are far from him. We say the right thing at the, at the right times to the right people, but if we're honest... Our hearts are distant from Him. We get God out of a box when it's culturally acceptable, but otherwise we don't. Thinking back to my letter that I wrote to my friend, the wording I used of a distant Christian, this is who I was. I talked about God. I pretended I even cared about Him, but my heart had not been changed or transformed at all by Him. And so what God is talking about here in Isaiah is this tendency we all have to pretend to be something we're not or we're pretending to be something that we really have no plans of ever becoming, this leaning that we, we all have that, that we want the outward appearance to be up to snuff, but our hearts can, can be uh, prone to be distant from the Lord. When Jesus walked this earth, there was this group of people called the Pharisees who lived this way. They were, they were the religious leaders, and they had the outward, outward appearances down. They followed all the rules. Like I said, Jesus uh, uh, quotes this verse to them, a couple of times. And Jesus also said this to the Pharisees. He said things like, you look beautiful on the outside, but, but on the inside, your heart is dead and everything is unclean. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You follow all the rules. You just lack mercy and faithfulness. You worry about having the things on the, on the outside all clean, but inside your hearts are full of greed and selfishness. 
These are not compliments, are they? I mean, these are rebukes. These are criticisms. Their lips honored, quote-unquote, honored Jesus, but their hearts were far from him. And in turn, their worship of Jesus was meaningless because Jesus looks at the heart. The outside did not match the inside. And you and I, we all have this tendency for this disconnect between our outward behavior and our inner hearts. We all have this bent to say, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, but then we go about living our lives as if we don't. Can I be real honest with you for a minute? There have been some seasons in my life, even since giving my life to to Christ, that the outside has not matched the inside. My lips uh, would, would say that I stayed close to God, but my heart had drifted from Him. And I believe some of you are in this kind of situation. You believe that there's a God, you believe that there's a Creator, but if you're honest, you really don't know Him. You don't know Him personally or intimately. He is more kind of an addition to your life, kind of slapped on in addition to all the other things rather than the center of your life, the core of your life. Uh, My wife Heather and I knew each other all the way back in middle school. We hung out in different circles, but so we didn't really catch each other's eye very much. Uh, Then it was freshman year, and and I I began to notice her. I flirted with her in algebra because that was much more interesting than X and Y and Zs and all those kind of things. Um, and we were in some activities together, but it wasn't until junior year that we started to date. And from that moment, we started going out. I, I thought she was amazing, just not just on the outside, but I thought I loved talking with her, listening to her. She very quickly became one of my best friends. I love spending time with her. I love just being in the same room. Uh, any relationship that's going to ultimately honor God is going to have its, at its foundation friendship. So on a side note, so if you're dating, just don't date all sorts of people. Don't, don't get hung up on that or worrying about who to ask to this dance or who to, this, uh, who to ask to this event. Simply just be friends before you get all exclusive and overcome with PDA and private and weird. All right, before you all do, do all that kind of thing, just, just learn to be friends in a group of friends. And that will ultimately honor the Lord, I believe. So my wife and I, we've been, we've been together now for over 20 years, been married for over 17 of those We know each other inside and out. There are no secrets. In many ways, we grew up together. Uh, We know all the good and the bad and the ugly, all right? And yet God has grown our love for one another through the years. Uh, When I haven't heard her voice uh, during the day, when we've been apart from one another at work, I miss it. I know what she loves to eat. I know the music she likes, the things she likes to smell, what what she uh, does to relax. I often know what she's going to say at a given moment before she even says it, which is spooky to our kids, but, but it's fun. Um, but despite knowing each other that well, even after 20-plus years of marriage, our, our 20-plus years of relationship and 17-plus of marriage, our relationship continues to grow. We're constantly learning how to communicate and show one another love and respond to one another's needs. The two of us have shared uh, a history, stories, experiences, two great kids. In short, we know each other. So could your relationship with Jesus be described in that way? I mean, really, really know him personally. I'm not asking if you're an expert, but are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you learning about Him? uh, Compared to a year ago, are you growing to know more about who Jesus is and what He's done? See, belief in God is not the same thing as personal knowledge. For many people, the very idea that you could know God on a relational level seems unrealistic or unattainable. Some of that confusion comes from this 
failure, failure to recognize the different uh, levels of closeness when it comes to knowing God. Some of us know God by reputation, like as if we've heard from a certain uh, guy or girl about so-and-so. In other words, he's a friend of a friend. Oh, I, let me tell you about my friend over in Roanoke. Let me tell you about my friend, who, my cousin who lives over in Kansas. Perhaps we know about God. We've been to church a few times. We, maybe we come to hype or our parents talk about God. We've heard the Bible stories, but in the end, we only know God by reputation alone. The knowledge you have of God is only secondhand. And yet some of us know God intimately right here, right now. You talk to Him throughout your days. You know God intimately. Your relationship with Him would be described as living, active. It's growing. With what you say with your words, it matches what is going on in your heart, what you actually believe. And maybe you're thinking, uh, isn't belief in God enough? I mean, a lot of people don't even believe in God. I, I hear about this at school. My, my friends, they, they don't even believe in God, but I at least believe in God. Isn't that what He wants from me? But believing in God is, isn't all that He wants from you. James 2.19 tells us that the demons even believe in God, and yet they tremble at that belief. So there's more to being a Christian than just believing that there's a God. First John speaks of obedience rather than just belief. It says this, First John 2, 3, and 4, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's pretty straightforward and honest, isn't it? If we really know God, we'll obey His commands. And His commands are loving and in our best interests. God cares about how we live. And the relationship we have with God naturally will flow out, of our, out into our daily attitudes and our actions. But our outward actions alone don't prove that we enjoy an inward relationship with God. Yes, our outward deeds, the things we do with our hands, the, the words we say, they're a sign of an inner health of our hearts, but it doesn't prove that our hearts are close to Him. Because just like Isaiah said, our lips might speak of God, but our hearts can be far from Him. If we really know Him, we won't think it's possible to keep God in a little box or a big box if we truly know Him. God is interested not only in our actions, but in our hearts and our attitudes toward Him. What makes you a Christ follower? It's not your upbringing. It's not what you have on your Instagram account or your Facebook account, or it's not because of what religion you're not. And by that, I mean that you're not a Christian simply because you're not an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim. You're not a Christian simply because you live in the Midwest or go to church or live in a small town. You're not a Christian simply by default or because, or, or because that you believe that there's a God. You're a Christian because the one you know personally, Jesus Christ. Countless well-intentioned people believe in God but don't know Him personally. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 7. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Just because we do good doesn't mean we know the one who is good. Jesus is saying here that many, many people on judgment day will say, well, we went to church, we went to youth group, we sang the songs we gave to, 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 the, to the offering, we did all those kind of things, but they didn't know Jesus personally. And that separated them from their creator for eternity. And maybe we sort of know God. Maybe sometime in the past we, we prayed and asked Jesus to come into our hearts. Maybe we have a basic understanding of God. Maybe once we genuinely, genuinely felt close to Him. 
But if you were to have an honest look on your heart, like if, there was, if it was possible to have a spiritual x-ray of your heart, so to speak, you'd have to say, I don't know Jesus very closely right now. You'd say there's a major gap between what your lips say or how your outward behavior is and where your heart actually is. And here's what I know about the leaders of, of hype and leaders at this church is that we want you to truly know God. See, the God of the Bible is amazing. He's incomparable to anything and anyone. He created the world and He created you and me because He loves us. He's the definition of love and perfection and beauty. He's, he's too good. He's too amazing for you not to know Him. So we want you as a hype generation to truly know God, not just from a friend, not just from your parents, but for you to know Him, know Him personally. See, when I wrote that letter to my friend and, and defined myself as a distant Christian, if I'm honest, I wasn't a Christ follower at all. I was in the category that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, saying, Lord, Lord. But He was not actually my Lord. He was not the leader of my life. At the time, I was not interested in becoming more like Jesus or loving Him. And as students in middle school and high school, this is an easy trap to fall into. I mean, you can watch that video and you're probably thinking, oh yeah, I have friends that do that. I, I see them do that. I have parents that do that. And before we worry about them, I just want you to worry and focus on your own heart tonight, your own relationship with Jesus. Consider this for a minute. What do you call God? Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. The way you address God or refer to Him just might reveal the depth of your relationship with Him. Think of it this way. Um, what you call me reveals how well you know me. Or whether you know me at all, uh, the phone rings at home, I pick it up, and I actually say hello twice on accident, and, and I pick up, and they say, hello, Mr. Steenback, uh, you have the wrong number, or I'm not going to buy what you're selling because you clearly don't know me at all, you can't pronounce my last name, or when Heather and I go on a date, and they say, and the hostess says, party of two, Steinbeck, uh, your, your table's ready, fantastic, you pronounce my name right but we don't really know each other. We've just met. Or if you call me Reverend Steinbeck, then you only know what I do for a living and you have, nothing, you have no knowledge of Crosspoint and you have no knowledge that I can't stand that. All right? And it just kind of weirds me out. All right? If you call me Pastor Steinbeck, you might know a little bit about me once again. Yeah, you know what I do. You might have heard me speak, but you only know about things that I've said from this front or you only maybe know things secondhand. If you call me coach, I know that I've got some specific history with you and you're on one of my basketball teams. If you call me David, then you're my mom, or you're my sister, uh, a couple high school or childhood friends that still haven't con converted to Dave yet, and they never will. Uh, if you call me, if you just call me Dave, I'm assuming you're going to know me pretty well. Uh, if you call me by some nicknames back in the day, that means we we're, we've been friends for a long time and as a result, you're not going to share any of the stories that we, we share. But then there are those that, ex that possess the exclusive rights to the name Dad. Only two people call me Dad. Or one woman who can call me Stud. Or No, no, just... <laughs> I'm just puffing myself up. She can call me husband. She can call me her best friend, all right? But these people know me so much better than just those who call me Dave or Coach or... Pastor Steinbeck, and they definitely know me better than those who would call me Reverend or um, 
Mr. Steenback or whatever. So what do you call God? Is he the big guy in the sky and the man upstairs? Then you don't really know him. Those titles may be clever, but they certainly aren't close. If you know God, you're, you're more likely to be far more specific with him. And the words you use will reflect your relationship you have with him. So do you call him Savior? Because you know that through his death and his resurrection on the third day, that his death paid for your sin. And as a result, he's the hero, he's the rescuer, he's your Savior. Do you call him Lord? Is he the leader of your life? Are you living your life under his loving authority? And saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'll follow you. I'm not following myself. I'm following you. I'll choose to live my life in a way that pleases and honors you by the grace of God. Do you call God Father? Is he Heavenly Father to you? Because John 1.12 gives us this incredible promise. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we repent or turn from our sin... We're adopted into the family of God. And no matter how awesome or how dysfunctional your, heaven, your, your earthly father is, you're adopted into a family of God with a perfect heavenly father. So what do you call God? Your answer to that will clue you into how well you truly know him. There are two kinds of people in this room. There are those who don't know God personally is the first group. You may know about God. You may believe that there's a God, but you don't really know Him yet. You may know about Him through a friend. Maybe the friend invited you tonight, or maybe, maybe your parents. But if you're honest, it's still just secondhand knowledge. You don't really know Him yet. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to talk to myself or a hype leader afterwards. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to hear your heart, where you're at, and help you get to know God personally. The other group of people here, you know Jesus, thinking about the names you call him. You call him Lord. You call him Savior. You, you call God Father. But maybe for you, there's been some sort of drift in your heart that's taken place. You watch that video and you listen to Jesus' words of, uh, of your lips speaking of God, but your heart being far from him, and you're like, that's me right now. That's me. That's where my heart is. And so if you're aware of that disconnect, that's not by chance that you're aware of that. That's the Holy Spirit of God revealing that to you right now. Kind of bringing that up to the surface, bringing that to your mind, to your attention because He loves you. Because He wants everything. Now, he doesn't want just to, to be a part or a container of your life that you can put in your back pocket. He doesn't want to be pulled out when it's just convenient or acceptable. He wants every part of your heart and life. So if the Holy Spirit has brought something to your mind, this revealed some sort of disconnect, I want you to talk to a leader before you leave. Remember, this is a safe place to get honest, not only before a God who loves you, but also leaders who absolutely love you. They don't put on all these games and do all these things for no reason. They do it because they love Jesus, they love you, and they want you to get to know God personally. Jesus is continually after our hearts because when Jesus has our hearts, then what we say, what we think, uh, what, how we act, how we, how we interact with relationships, all of that will naturally happen. It will reflect Jesus. The good news always works from the inside out. It always starts in our hearts. So does Jesus have your heart? 
Not just your lips, not just your outward behavior, not, not just your hands. Does he have your heart? Not just what you do on Wednesday nights, not just what you do on Sunday mornings, not just what you do in front of your parents or how you interact with this circle of friends, but does he have your heart, all of it? That's the question I want you to wrestle with. And then I want you to respond to, and talk to leaders afterwards, whether you know Jesus or whether you do know him and you just feel like you've drifted. Either way, I want you to be honest before a God who loves you and leaders who do as well. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your grace. Uh, God, I thank you for uh, just, just your Holy Spirit's work in our life and for the students here that don't know you yet personally. I pray that tonight they would. I pray they give their life to Christ. For those who do call you Lord, Savior, Father, I pray that if, if there's been some sort of Holy Spirit conviction that, of where a heart has drifted, I pray that you would bring that back into alignment, that you would um, just minister and lead, and that ultimately you'd be glorified. I thank you for your massive, unconditional, unfailing love for us. We're so grateful. And we give you all the glory. We pray that you would work in our hearts to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.